0: Financial advisor, Justin Klein.
1: Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, August 8th, 2022 edition. I'm Justin Klein, and I'm excited for this hour with you answering your finance and investment questions, which you can reach out to me anytime, 24 7, and leave your message after hours, or you can call live during our 45 Pacific Time live stream. Now, my focus point concerns the story behind this headline. Gen Z may be getting bad financial advice on social media. And, you know, the title of the article is Gen Z. But, frankly, we all kind of use social media to some extent for the most part. And that likely means you're seeing some level of financial advice. And reputable financial advice is rarely one size fits all which is why you won't find many financial advisors giving tips on social media, as well as compliance. There are a lot of compliance hurdles to be had on the social media side. I know that firsthand. Now, time permitting, I will dig into that topic, as well as some others, such as a local tax break a lot of retirees may not know about. Also, a tight labor market and weak job growth is not just something that's happening here in America. This is actually a worldwide phenomenon so we're going to look at that data and then lastly wall street is becoming a little more circumspect when it comes to how they're investing in consumer linked debt and i want to look at that data as well because it could give you some insight into what uh, the future holds for the consumer overall so that's what's on my mind I'm ready for your calls at 88899 chart now I see we have some caller voice bank questions ready to play for you and it looks like we might get to land which is a REIT a uh, uh, called Gladstone Land Corp it's a REIT and then FPI Farmland partners those are a couple of the stocks we'll our calls will cover asking about those stocks and more and my special perspective report. At the halfway point of this podcast focuses on American investors by age group and looking back in history. So I've got this all planned up for this episode uh of Invest Talk. And of course, I'll take your calls live at 88.99 chart. Now let's take a look at the market today. Overall, it was a Modest down day. We had the NYSE that was uh, that was actually up 32 points, about 0.2. percent the, the S and P that was down five points, about 0.1. So depending on which index you look at, the Russell that was up 19 uh, points, about 0.1. So it really depends on what you're uh, what you're talking about. Uh, overall, I would say it was. A, now they look about at it. It was a modest up day um, broadly, even though the S and P was down a little. A continuation of this kind of grind higher, uh, getting getting those shorts to to cover that uh, were heavy just uh, about a month or so ago. That was very pessimistic on the market, and uh, just reminds you that when the headlines start to clamor aggressively on one narrative uh, like we were a month ago talking about a recession and how bad the market was etc oftentimes that is a at least a near-term uh catalyst for an inflection the other way and uh, you know we're not ne- where we've hit our first resistance point and frankly we've got over it and likely headed to the next one which would be modestly higher from here. So kind of grinding higher through the summer uh, as we kind of wait on what the next move is for uh, the Fed forward guidance and how aggressive they're going to be when it comes to uh, raising interest rates. And we're going to see a lot of economic data come come in this month that will give a better indicator of the trends of the overall economy. And remember, no Fed meeting this week or this month excuse me uh but we will have one next month and that will be probably the next big inflection point for the market now let's get to our first caller question now at 88899 chart
2: hi
0: steve would like your opinion of the xle for a long-term hold thank you
1: well, XLE, this is probably the most popular energy ETF out there, and it's uh, pretty low fees, uh, but it's also fairly concentrated as well. If you buy the XLE, you're basically getting 50, call it, it's called 45% exposure of this between two companies, Chevron and Exxon. And then the third highest concentration is ConocoPhillips, then Occidental, EOG Resources, so those top 5 make up uh, roughly 60% of this overall uh, overall ETF so you're very concentrated on those large emp companies and I like I like this ETF overall. Uh, I like the energy space uh, and long term. I, I continue to see an underinvestment in energy due to ESG concerns, environmental concerns, etc., and that likely means structurally higher prices for energy domestically and abroad, especially with Russia kind of being cut off and uh, cut off from new uh, servicing their wells. Right, uh, a lot of their Production is reliant on Western technology, Western oil service companies like Slumberger and Halliburton that have gone in there to help them develop wells that previously they just didn't have the expertise to do. And now that those companies are pulling out, well, maybe that near term but long term, that's certainly going to hinder the uh, supply of oil and natural gas globally. And therefore, This is a nice broad way to gain access to uh, the the energy space. So I'm going to give XLE a thumbs up. Now we're heading into a break and I welcome your finance and investment questions right now. No question is too simple or too complex and you set the agenda for the hour. So give me a call at 888-99-CHART.
2: why do listener questions make invest talk better which of these would you recommend because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice
3: i was curious if you still think aluminum has a ways to go from here when do i know the right time to take profits should i be looking for an exit should i be holding here
2: and listeners instinctively realize that invest talk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction
3: i think have a terrific show, and I've learned a whole lot. Hey, guys, love your show. Uh, I've been listening for several years now, and I've learned a lot.
2: Justin Klein and Steve Peasley understand what investors need and want.
1: I would look at it from a tax perspective. If there's no tax implications, move on, find better ways to use that money. I'm going with the odds. I think a half position now would at least get you in it and get you watching it so you won't lose track of it.
2: Don't forget to call Investor. 888-99-CHART. No two portfolios are alike, and every investor has a unique set of circumstances. The best way to get answers that correspond with your situation is for you to submit your questions to Steve Peasley and Justin Klein. The 24-hour listener line never closes, so don't forget to call Talk.
1: Eight 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 ninety nine chart. Now, for those of you hey, who may be new to Invest Talk, let me remind you that uh, I'm always careful to give my straight and unbiased answers, and I have no hidden agenda here. I'm just here to give you the facts as I see them. In front of me i have tons of financial information that we use for analyzing our clients current situation uh, investment uh, opportunities etc and uh, it will mostly be your questions that drive the direction of this podcast so uh, one thing's for sure is that today's investing situation is very different from what we've seen over the past few decades and uh, you know i've talked a lot about the High, structurally higher inflation due to deglobalization, de- due to ESG, due to the geopolitical situation that we find ourselves in, and therefore that affects markets differently, especially differently than post financial crisis. And so, it takes a different perspective, a different style, uh, and that's what I'm here to help you get help give you is that that perspective of uh, over 20 plus years of investment experience, as well as. Studying a history of markets decades and decades into the past, and not just markets, but financial situations, uh, central bank philosophies, et cetera, that all feed into today's uh, today's environment. Now, uh, my goal is to help you understand that environment and help you avoid the pitfalls and capitalize on the opportunities. So I invite your phone calls and questions right now on our anytime listener line at 888 chart now, let's turn my focus today, and it concerns the story behind this ha- headline. Gen Zs may be getting bad financial advice on social media. And, you know, this applies really to not just Gen Z millennials as well. I'm a, I am would say I'm an elder millennial, um, and nearly half of Gen Z social media users, age 18 to 25, say they've felt negatively about their finances after seeing posts from others. Now, 46% of them, this is a survey from Bankrate.com, 46% admitted to posting things to make themselves look more successful in the eyes of their followers. And obviously, those numbers, uh, if they're being honest, are probably a little bit higher. And when it comes to influencers, that line uh, is hard, hard to really spot. And many of them are dispensing some sort of financial advice. Gen Z investors say they're more likely to get financial advice from TikTok, 34%, YouTube, 33%, than from an actual financial advisor, 24%. So clearly, they're leaning on these platforms to give them some sort of advice. Now, young people are listening to this advice, and what they don't realize is that there's not one size fits all for everybody. Everyone's goals are different. Everyone's current situation is different. Uh, everyone's risk tolerance level is different. So that's one that's one problem. And there's this natural thing that happens when you're watching social media and somebody is speaking frankly, directly into the camera. And this this interaction that feels very genuine and very intimate, it creates a sense of trust and our brain is wired for that. And our brain doesn't know that this is only one direction. Our brain feels like that person is talking to them. And throughout human history, if you were able to look into someone's eyes, it was in person was the only way to do that for 99.9% of human history. And so you combine that trust with the fact that most people are feel insecure about their ability to manage their finances. They feel like they don't know enough and they want to learn more. And so People typically don't stop and think critically about the advice that's being dispensed on social media. And unfortunately, like I said, at the top of the show, most financial advisors are very constrained with what they can say because of compliance. I know, uh, us personally, you know, KPP, we, we, we just started really developing our social media after the SEC opened their guidelines a bit. Now, frankly, that is something that is still being, still evolving, let's just say that. And so we're still constrained. Now, less constrained than we were before because the SEC is, you know, getting a little more comfortable with the things that, that happen on social media. Um, but that's, that's one problem. Um, I'll give you kind of a parallel example. My girlfriend, she's, she's, a, so she's an influencer in the, in the uh, in medical space. Um, she's a doctor, and early on she was kind of shunned by the community and, because that was kind of a frowned upon type of thing on the social media space that you, that you were posting on social media. But as time went on and they realized, well, it's better to have doctors dispense this good advice than to have quote-unquote influencers who aren't doctors that are oftentimes saying bad things, things that things that are inaccurate. Um, and the medical community has started to embrace doctors more and more getting on social media because they rather have those doctors who are well-trained, have degrees, dispensing the advice. Um, and so that's kind of the same type of thing that's happening here, except because of compliance, it's very difficult for real financial advisors who know the, the broad spectrum of pros and cons of all different asset classes and investments to actually go on there and give good advice. And so if you're seeing financial advice on social media, just try to be a little skeptical, um, and do your own research. And just because it may feel like this, you have some connection with this person because you saw their video, they were looking straight into the camera. Does not mean they were actually giving you the full kind of ins and outs of, uh, what to think about when making that decision. So, just a little heads up there and make sure you do your own research. Now, we're heading into our first major break. So, give me a call. This is Invest Talk at 888 99 Chart. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is
3: host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts, and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions
2: anytime, day or night, 888-99-CHART.
3: Hi, I see that some rich people are buying or investing in farmland and clean water. I think these two sectors will have a bright future. I'm interested to invest in these two sectors by buying some farmland stocks like land land and fpi and some clean water etfs so can i have your opinion
1: thank you so much bye all right looking at two farmland companies one is glanstone land corp this is a reit and farmland partners which is also a reit so it looks like both of these are paying some sort of a dividend. Uh, farmland's about 1.6%, Gladstone about 2.1%. So, not big yielders when it comes to uh, their dividend, uh, but they are, it is a good way to get exposure to uh, the farmland space. Now, historically, Farmland Partners, FPI, has much better uh, return on uh, assets, uh, return on equity. Winner goes to, let's see, also farmland. So uh, it looks like farmland partners is going to be your your better bet when it comes to uh, profitability. Um, so I like that. And it's uh, you're going to get less of a dividend. But oftentimes that higher dividend means lower quality business. So if I'm picking one over the other, I'm going to pick uh, FPI farmland. F- FPI, there you go. Now let's move over to taxes, and many seniors are moving to property tax-free states or or low tax states. Excuse me, and. Uh, Florida is a good example, but there are many tax-friendly states that are out there. But what's interesting is that many retirees are not aware that there there may be some local programs just in their own backyard that will help reduce things like property tax. And they're all over the country, all different types, depending on your local municipality. And there are hundreds of tax relief programs for seniors, veterans, low-income families, and others. Uh, but typically, your local government's not going to reach out to you and explain to you how to apply for these breaks because they want the tax revenue. So a lot of people just don't know these programs exist. So there's programs like the homestead exemption, property tax, uh, property assessment freeze, exemptions of spouse of peace officers and firefighters killed in line of duty. Uh, disabled veterans exemptions, some for individuals who are permanently disabled, as well as uh, specific 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 ones, excuse me, for residents that reach certain ages, 62, 65, 70. And the age-related exemptions provide tax breaks above and beyond these other exemptions. And in some cases, the amount of property tax relief is linked to earnings. So that's something that to consider as well as what your overall earnings are now there's a few ways to, to look this up the lincoln institute has a property tax database that you can look up as well as aarp they actually have a service that's offered in 13 states and they're expanding it and it's called the property tax aid service and volunteers help individuals apply for these uh pro- this property tax relief um so I wanted to highlight this because this can be pretty important Uh, if you're trying to budget for your your, your retirement years and you want to live in a certain area, uh, maybe it's you staying in your current area or maybe it's uh, moving closer to family. Uh, or maybe it is moving to a low cap, a low tax state. You want to make sure you are fully aware of all the tax benefits, especially as you get older, maybe hitting these tax breaks and making sure you know what those uh, what those are, what those uh, tax breaks are in each local municipality. Now let's pivot over to the iTunes question of the day. NB says I'm looking to add SCI to my portfolio. On a recent drop, I've been following for some time and like it uh, and, and uh, says that death rates have been falling and uh, that's that worries him a bit. And I, I actually would argue the other way around. Uh, even pre-COVID, we saw the life expectancy here in the U.S. start to level off a little bit and it's certainly not gotten better. Uh, Post-COVID, obviously a lot of people passed, unfortunately, because of COVID, and some people have long COVID from uh, from getting uh, the virus. Others have um, problems from the vaccine. Uh, I read a recent report on uh, that 15% of people got were diagnosed within months of getting the vaccine uh, and s- some sort of uh, medical condition of various types. Personally, I'm one of those. So um, you know, I'm, I'm seeing, and in the long-term effectiveness of the mRNA platform is uh, after about six months is not very good. Um, so that, that's, that's kind of, the, those are kind of the negatives of long-term life expectancy uh, in the post-COVID world. And then um, the, the positive is that, um, what was the positive? There was a positive. I had a positive. Oh, the positive is that the uh, the virus looks to be mutating to become less virulent, meaning less deadly. So that's a positive. That even though it's probably going to be a thing that's with us for a long period of time, it's uh, it's becoming less deadly. So that's uh, that's a positive. Um, so, but SCI, we own this for clients, and SCI just just why I'm talking about this, it's uh, a funeral company, and we like it, and we think it's a great buy down here. We're heading into a break, so give me a call at eight 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 ninety nine chart. At this point. Dot com, hackerone.com.
2: Invest Talk is always made better when our listeners contribute their questions. So tell your friends and family members they can interact in real time with Steve Peasley and Justin Klein during the Invest Talk live stream program between 4 and 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Or they can leave their questions anytime 24 7 in the Invest Talk Voice Bank. 888 99
1: Chart. We're going to go talk to Richard in Valencia looking at VNQ, which is a REIT ETF.
3: Yeah, hi, Justin. Uh, I'm a regular listener, and uh, I was wondering, I wanted to get into uh, the real estate REITs, and I was looking at VNQ and i i think it's pretty good because it looks like you know it's pretty well diversified and it's a vanguard reit uh but my question is is this a good time to buy into it at this particular price
1: well that's that's a great question um now this is yeah a, a mix of reits and you know, it has rallied into the 100-day moving average. So it is uh, into a bit of resistance. Um, but let me talk a little bit uh, about the pros and cons longer term of, of REITs. Um, now, there's in an inflationary environment. Two things happen. Prices in general go up. Uh, and typically, that's good for rents, right? Rents will go up. And that's good for REITs. The other Side is negative, though, which is interest rates typically go up. And that means it's typically a headwind uh, to bond like equities Um, and bond like equities would be utilities, consumer staples, as well as REITs, because those tend to pay the higher dividends, right? When you can get if suddenly you go on the 10 year from 1 percent to 3 percent and your REITs are only yielding 3%. You rather own that guaranteed 3% versus the 3% on the REIT that could be more variable. And therefore, the the price has to go down for that overall yield to go up. So that's why higher interest rates tend to be a headwind to high-yielding uh, type of, of uh, equities um, and REITs would be included. So there's definitely that push and pull. Now, overall, inflation is a net positive for REITs. So I do like REITs uh, much more than many parts of the market. Um, so I would be overweight REITs, not my highest overweight of the different 11 different sectors, but I would be overweight them. Um, once again, it is up into some resistance, so I might wait for a bit of a pullback, but I like the allocation uh, to REITs overall. Thanks for the call. Now, let's go to Bob in Ohio, looking at Nike. Bob, you there?
3: Oh, yes, hello. Sorry, Justin yeah no i'm looking at nike um i think it's uh i think it's a consumer staple play um even though it is a little bit more discretionary um and they've been coming off kind of far off of their 52 week high from about 180 um, and i think they've kind of got some support around this 100 to 110 mark do you think now is a good time to buy or do you think this is kind of like a value trap even though it's a little expensive
1: no, a value trap is is a company that looks very cheap, and its business is impaired, and it's cheap for a reason because it's, it has structural problems. Think of like JCPenney was; uh, its stock was cheap for a long period of time. Why? Because it was headed to bankruptcy. That's a value trap. So. Don't think of Nike uh, as a value trap unless for some reason you think they're not going to be a dominant player in the sports apparel business, you know, five, 10 years from now, which I still think they they will be. Now, this is a name that is on our watch list as well. And you're correct. There is some support around the $100 level and it has bounced from there. The issue though, is that it's has a pretty weak bounce. Uh, and so technically it hasn't given me a lot of of confidence that this is uh, the right turn. Uh, but our, val- our our price that we're targeting is about $90 uh, to where it would be uh, cheap enough uh, for us. So it's certainly in the ballpark. It's getting there. Definitely much better than it was trading at uh, around 175, 180 uh, back in uh, earlier this year. Uh, now it's at 114 did bounce off the 52-week the low of $99.53, so it's up a little bit from there. But 90 is kind of our price target. So I like what you're looking at, and don't think it's a consumer staple. That's another uh, thing you said that definitely would not jive with 99% of people who you know look at the, the different companies' different sectors. It is clearly discretionary. Uh, when people don't have money, they don't go, buy out, go out and buy new Nikes and, and, and new sports apparel. Uh, and so it's clearly a consumer cyclical name, not a consumer staple. It's one of the stronger brands in the consumer cyclical space, but it is certainly still cyclical. Um, so I like what you're looking at. Uh, if you bought it here, I think you'll do fine longer term. But... Through this kind of uh, down cycle in in growth, uh, I think Nike eventually will probably trade a bit lower. But uh, definitely, a good one to be on your watch list. And and, uh, I like that you're looking at a good quality name. It's still a bit expensive here, but at 90, that's where I'd pick it up. Thanks for the call. Now, my perspective today concerns investors by age group. So I'll add historical context to this topic by wrapping it up with some data from the infamous stock market crash of 1929. But in modern times, investors' financial portfolios change over time alongside their income, naturally, and their expenses and retirement horizon, etc. So here are some key findings as published this July by personalcapital.com. Now, investors in their 20s park about 28% of their assets in cash, and that's... Higher than any other group, except for retirees in their 80s, who keep 24, uh, t- sorry, 29.4 of their assets in cash. Folks in their 90s maintain 31% in, in cash. Those are obviously the two highest because they are uh, they-, they have the least ability to recoup uh, any losses. Now, investors in their 20s, 30s, and 40s all have bond allocations of less than 5%, and for most people, that's probably appropriate. But investors in their 20s, 30s, and 40s all maintain about 43% allocation to U.S. stocks and 11 to 12% allocation to international stocks in their portfolios, which probably means they're still under-allocated to aggressive positions. Now, what percentage of 18 to 34-year-olds are investing in the stock market today? The answer is 37%. Now, three-fifths of those began investing in 2020 and 2021, I'm sure uh, there's a lot of listeners that fall into that camp. Uh, and, you know, this is this last six months uh, was a rude awakening, I think, for a lot of those people that, that had just recently started. And that's why I was encourage people to not jump in uh, with two feet, because typically they have, they lack perspective. New investors lack perspective of what good and bad markets are. Uh, they typically only look back a short period of time to get their perspective. And short period is two, three, four, five years, which is very, very short uh, in the grand scheme of things. So uh, f- now for this age group, the 18 to 34, investing is a broad term and it typically is more than just stocks and bonds. 18 to 34 year old Americans are more likely to own cryptocurrency and less likely to think it's a risky asset class, which is wild to me, but they do. Now 15 of 15% of the, that group say they own cryptocurrency versus 11% of 35 to 64 year olds and only 4% of those 65 or older. Now 29% of that group say investing in cryptocurrency is high risk, only 29. Crazy. Versus forty six percent of the thirty five and older, and sixty three percent of the sixty five and older. So clearly, the older you are, the more perspective, the more time you've seen the ups and downs of of, uh, of investing, and, and knowing that uh, there are there are high risk investments, and cryptocurrency is clearly one of them. Now, according to Pew Research data from two thousand sixteen, the latest available data, uh, and it shows that some nineteen point six of households headed by Americans seventy five or older own stocks. Nineteen point six. That's it. of American families are directly invested in individual stocks. Only 14. Wild. Now, 52% of American families have some level of investment in the market. 52. Most of this comes from a a, a 401k of some type. Now, going back to 1929, though the stock market lost almost one half of its value, uh, plunging many Americans into crisis, financial ruin. But only approximately 10% of American households held stock investments and speculated in the market. So think about that. That 10% that speculated really destroyed the economy for everyone else. Uh, nearly th- a third of Americans back then, that was only 93 years ago, would lose their lifelong savings and jobs ensuing, you know, creating the the, the Great Depression. Uh, now, almost no one alive today was around during that crash. So today's investors, no matter their age, have no memory of that crash or depression. And that goes back to kind of the fourth turning thing that, that's why there is the the complexity of, of various um, eras of human lives and and uh, the human condition, because eventually the people that learn the lessons of the the, the the last major crisis, right, the Great Depression, World War II, they're no longer around to teach everyone else about uh, the pitfalls, and that's why you go through these crises. So I, I encourage everyone to read that that book. It's a great one. Now let's get things back moving to the InvestTalk Voice Bank at eight eighty eight ninety nine chart.
2: Hey Steven Justin. This is Noah in Orlando. Had a question about
1: the EV trend,
2: hopping on that bandwagon. About a company BWA looking at its fundamentals right now. It's looking pretty attractive to me. Just wanted to get your guys' take on it. Thanks. Appreciate it. Bye.
1: All right, looking at Borg Warner. And this is an OEM manufacturer of components that go into light vehicles. Uh, So they basically make parts for the Fords and and GMs of the world. And uh, clearly, any of those companies are going to start to cater to the EV sector uh, in order to help with that transition of that you know ford and, and gm and, and the like are are, uh, are transitioning to uh the company's largest customers are ford and volkswagen 10 and 9 percent of revenue respectively 35 uh, percent of the revenue comes from europe asia is 35 north america's 29 so that's kind of the how it spreads out but they do make emission systems powertrain sensors gasoline ignition technology cabin heaters battery heaters uh, etc so it's not definitely not just the pure EV play, and frankly, I like that. I like that diversity and the fact that they're not reliant on. Uh, still, while growing, still a, a very small percentage of the the car market. Now, if you look at historically what the this typically trades at enterprise value to EBITDA, it uh, it's right around the average. Long term average is six point eight, median is six point seven. Guess where it's trading now? Six point seven. So. Now, what you could say is, earnings are being held back because of the chip shortage, for example, and the fact that a lot of these OEM manufacturers are not able to produce as many cars as they they want, and therefore, you know, less buying of parts from Borg Warner, and so maybe there's that snapback to where their EBITDA and, and cash flow could rise because of that, and that would get this uh, this stock moving. Um, but yields 1.8 percent. Revenue last quarter. Flat year over year, earnings down three percent year over year. So very cyclical, uh, you know. Business trading at average multiple. So you know, it's kind of okay. Uh, it's uh, it's not fantastic. It's not expensive. It's not cheap. Um, it's about it's about average. Um, it's a good company long term. It has pretty good profitability and uh, consistent cash flows. So I like that. So overall, I give it a decent rating. Now let's uh, now, now we're rolling through the hottest summer days. I know that here down on Laguna Beach, and you know if you're paying attention, you're probably seeing volatility heat up both ways. We saw that in the month of June and July, and now through uh, through the beginning of August, we're getting volatility the other way, and you're seeing different uh, rotations in the market from uh, growth to value leading. And that means that you need to be prepared for this new inflationary world and your portfolio needs to be set up to succeed. So I encourage you to reach out to myself or Steve Peasley at our company, KPP Financial, where we practice parallel investing. And we we provide unbiased guidance both on and off air. So... If you want to take advantage of our free portfolio review assessment, just head over to investtalk.com or give our office a call at 800-557-5461. we love to speak to you and help you in any way. And the sooner you contact us, the sooner we can get your portfolio optimized. Now, I think we can squeeze in another caller question, so let's try.
2: Hello, this is Jose
3: from New York. I wanted to know what do you think about the company Vale? is a mining company and they mine for nickel. And I was thinking of investing in this company due to the high demand, for nickel or the EV batteries that are being used by Tesla and other EV producers. I would like to know what you think about it for a long term investment.
1: Thank you very much. And I thank you for all the information you provide. All right. Well, if you want to invest in Nickel production, Vale is not going to be your your name. Okay, Vale is the world's largest iron ore miner, and it is a bit diversified. And it does have, does produce uh, coal, manganese, copper. Does have some nickel mines as well, but that's such a small contribution to its overall revenue, its overall profit. So, in no way would I say, oh, I want to bet on the upside of nickel. Uh, and and buy this name, okay, so that's not a play I would go with here, uh, but it is, once again, the largest iron ore miner, and it's going to be very cyclical, the issue, though, is that, you know, it's in Brazil, and there's geopolitical risk there, always, with, um, with the Complex nature of, of uh, Brazilian politics. So it is at support, but it's very high risk, and don't expect that dividend to stay consistent because it moves around a lot. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein. We have one goal here to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom, and our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 888 Chart.
2: Listening to Invest Talk every Friday on the program and the podcast, Steve Peasley shares highlights from the newest edition of the KPP Premium Newsletter. Listen Fridays to Invest Talk. And now, Steve and Justin welcome your calls and questions. eight 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 ninety
3: nine chart. Hi, Steve or Justin. I've been thinking about taking some chips off the table, so to speak, in order to free up some cash just in case we do enter a recession and see a a new buying opportunity at new lows. And one of the things that I was thinking about doing was just going straight down the line and, you know, selling, say, 5% of every holding that I have. I do have a little over 40 different positions in a range of categories. I'm moving more towards, obviously, the big, safe, blue-chip companies. But my question is specifically... If I were to take this strategy, if you think this is a decent strategy in the next, let's say, couple of weeks or months, would you just go straight down the line and or what companies would you keep? What types of companies would you not sell? In other words, should I keep some of my gold mining positions? Should I keep my position in Apple, which I just fundamentally bought and decided to hold for the long term? Anyway, that's kind of where I'm going. Thank you so much. Have a good day.
1: Well, I definitely wouldn't go down, straight down the list and sell 5% of each. That's not the way you want to do it. Now, how you want to do it is have a target allocation from what percentage of stocks you have versus other assets like bonds or real estate. Uh, and, and then you want to drill down to different sectors, how much in technology, industrials, financials, etc. And the way you want to think about that are, Companies, A, that typically have assets that are hard versus intangible. So intangible assets would be things you can't see, feel, hold, and touch, like what a brand is worth, what a code, you know, the code on a computer screen. Okay. Think of hard commodities. Those tend to be hard assets, hard real estate, hard assets. So this is a decade in an inflationary world where hard assets tend to appreciate Intangible assets, less so. So you want to think about in that way, and then the value sectors. So there's 11 different sectors in the market: um, industrials, uh, financials, um, commodities. Those tend to be more the value side of the market. Okay, whereas communication services and technology, that's more on the growth side. Okay, now Apple, good company. We own it for clients, you know. That's a very high quality name. So that might be the only technology company you own though, right? Or one of just a couple. Okay. And then you want to be, as you see the market rally, and maybe you are far from that, that goal allocation, you start to trim slowly positions, either eliminate them, lower their overall percentage of your portfolio, and then start to reallocate to your ideal target. So that's how you manage a portfolio. You don't do anything across the board, 5% of each position or something like that. That's too willy-nilly. That's no plan. That's just guessing at a default. And you don't want to be investing by default. You want to be investing tactically. You want to be investing strategically. Okay, so hope that helps give you some guideposts on how to think about your asset reallocation. Now, lastly, I want to get to another driver of inflation longer term, and that is a shrinking workforce. And that's not just here in the U.S. You know, you have the jobs number and you have low unemployment, et cetera. But those low unemployment numbers and weakening the economy is not just here in the U.S., it's abroad as well. Obviously, Germany, their growth has stalled over the last few months due to energy supplies drying up, but also that the unemployment rate remains close to a 40-year low. And half, almost half of companies say worker shortages are hampering production in some way. And the jobless rate in the wider eurozone is also at a record low. New Zealand's economy, it shrank in the first three months, but the jobless rate stays at 3.3%. And so what you're seeing here is a demographic situation uh, in the broader developed world that is becoming more like Japan, not as extreme as Japan, but more like Japan. And a lot of this has to do with shrinking uh, in, uh, immigration in in Europe, in, in New Zealand, uh, here in the US, the annual uh, immigration from 2015 uh, and 16 was 1 million, now it's a quarter million, okay? So the old, and older workers are continuing to leave the workforce. And so this demographic situation is another uh, thing that's compounding the inflation issue uh, around the world, uh, along with the deglobalization, along with ESG, along with um, you know with what's happening geopolitically. So I just want to give you a heads up on that and the drivers of what you're seeing in the real economy. I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, and be sure to rate and review on iTunes. And we did cross the 44 million mark over the weekend. So thanks to you. Independent thinking, shared success. This is talk. Good night. talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the
0: nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial.